LaRue and this is HCA Talks Health. And today I'm talking about finding your focus and what we can do to improve our focus and concentration. And as you might know, there are many different things that it could make it really difficult for us to focus, right? So think about that moment when you want to sit down and do some work. What are the things that come in your way? And if you know that this is something that you want to improve, you do want to improve your focus and concentration, I'll, I'll share a few ideas with you in terms of where you can start. So let's start out with distractions. And I want to start by sharing a bit of Tristan Harris's story. So you might have heard about him. Uh, he worked for Google. And after he worked there for quite some time, he realized that you know, the internet, emails, Facebook, all of them are really starting to become a bit of a problem. Just in terms of how it is distracting us all the time. You know, so, so Tristan had, had quite a bit of guts um, and he decided to approach the big guys. So he approached the big guys at Google and he even put together his little slideshow. He wanted to support his viewpoint. And on his first slide, it said, I'm concerned about how we're making the world more distracted and distraction matters to me because time is all we have in life, yet hours and hours can get mysteriously lost here. I'm sure you know the feeling. So yes, unfortunately, with many of these things like Gmail, Facebook, whatever, we, we are destroying our kids and our own ability to focus. So Tristan Harris continued with his little slideshow saying that we know that interruptions cause deterioration in people's ability to focus and think clearly. So why are we ramping up the interruptions? And that they should actually feel an enormous responsibility to get this right. So you can see how this was really worrisome to Tristan. And then at the end of his slideshow, he even had some recommendations of, of modest changes, you know, to get this started. And one of the things he suggested, just to give you an example, was the idea of implementing modifications of notifying someone every time they have a new email, right? So instead of getting that notification as it's coming in, rather notifying them once a day. You know, almost like in a batch, like almost getting the newspaper in the morning, right? Um, and he also suggested that the infinite scroll should not be part of apps anymore. Um, and this is because it's quite a, a big invention, is the infinite scroll makes you spend about 50% more of your time on sites like Twitter or Instagram. And then, you know, he did the math and he realized that every day as a direct result of only this invention, the infinite scroll, the combined total of 200,000 more total human lifetimes is now spent scrolling through screens. And if you really think about it, these hours would otherwise have been spent on, you know, some other activity. And that time um, could have been used for, I don't know, solving climate change or <laughs> spending time with your family, strengthening social bonds, you know, whatever it is that makes our lives well lived. But as you might imagine, Google didn't bite. But Tristan's biggest learning through this whole process, you know, as a, as a designer or technologist was that making something easy to use doesn't mean that it's good for humanity, right? 
So yes, of course, there are many amazing designs out there, lots of beautiful technology. Um, and it seems like it is making our lives easier um, and therefore better. But unfortunately, there is a cost, right? So this constant, it seems like this constant fragmentation of our time and our concentration has become the new normal. And we've adapted to this. But the downside is that it is eroding our ability to concentrate. So there was some inter interesting uh, research done in 2005. Uh, this was done at London's Institute of Psychiatry. And what they found was that these persistent interruptions and uh, these distractions, um, specifically when we're trying to work or when we're at work, had a really profound effect. And what they saw was these distractions by emails, you know, phone calls, WhatsApp, people see a 10 point fall in their IQs because of these distractions. And that is twice of which was found in studies on the impact of smoking marijuana. You know, it can even have the same impact as the loss of a night's sleep. Right. So you can see how distractions might really be coming in the way of our ability to focus sustainably. So something else we also need to take into consideration is our stressful environments, right? Um, because you can imagine, just think about when human beings are in a stressful environment, you know, you, you, you're terrified. Um, say like example, in, you're maybe in a war zone. We tend to flip into a different state, right? If something's going to attack you, or you're in the middle of a war zone, your brain really stops worrying about what you're going to eat, how you're going to pay the rent, because it becomes narrowly and entirely focused on one thing. And that's danger. Right? So you become highly vigilant. But if this happens three times a week or every day, you know, you would then likely develop a state known as hypervigilance where you are looking out for danger all the time, whether something is chasing you or not. So in this case, you can see how your attention will be focused on cues for potential danger, as opposed to being focused on being present with what's going on for you, you know, uh, or the work you're supposed to be doing. So it's not so much that people in a stress state are not paying attention. It's not that they're not paying attention. They are just paying attention to signs of danger. So that is where their focus is, right? If you are constantly, constantly in a stressed state, it is going to be really difficult to pay attention and focus on something else. So a very um, interesting statistic that supports this theory is they've seen that children who've experienced four or more types of traumas were about 32 times more likely to have been diagnosed with attention or behavior problems compared to children who had not experienced any trauma. And also uh, Dr. Nicole Brown, she found that childhood trauma tripled the development of ADHD symptoms. And this makes a lot of sense to me. You know, you can, you can imagine that if someone, if we want to pay attention in normal ways, we need to feel safe. So the next element I want to touch on is the fact that many of us are overworked, right? 
and how if we are overworked, it actually reduces our productivity by a lot. So I want to share a few examples with you. So the first one is W.G. Um, uh, Kellogg. So in 1920, what he decided to do was to cut his staff from an eight hour day to a six hour day. And the workplace accidents, which is quite a good measure of attention, fell by 41%. And then also a bit more recently in 2019 in Japan, Microsoft moved to a four day work week and they reported a 40% improvement in productivity. Right? That's fantastic. And then lastly, Toyota also decided to cut two hours per day off the work week. And it turned out that their mechanics produced 114% of what they had before. And their profits went up by 25%. So this shows us that when people work less, their focus significantly improves. And I'm sure all of you might have experienced this somewhere in your life, right? Where you're just struggling to get things done when you're tired, when you're overworked, and how you just seem to fly through whatever after a period of rest or after a good holiday. Everything just seems easier when you're well rested. So this is really an area that we need to be aware of and being curious about what the things are that come in the way of people taking time off and taking that time out to rest, right? Why is it that so many of us feel that we need to put in all the extra hours as much as possible? Often there are some beliefs that pop up um, that you would need to unpack with yourself or the client that you're working with, right? So next I want to touch briefly on the role of nutrition, right? But I am actually going to focus more on our food environment because unfortunately, as you might know, many people are eating in a way that deprives them of the nutrients they need for their brains to develop and function fully. So for almost all of our history, we consumed fresh food. We knew the origin of, but unfortunately, this is getting really rare in today's modern world. Many people have absolutely no idea where their food come from or what the original or the natural ingredient was that it was made from. And our environment is really encouraging us to have more fake or processed or highly refined foods. And of course, there are many reasons for this, but I think this actually weaves in tightly with us being overworked, you know, because when people don't have time, they tend to favor convenience. So we're going for the easiest, the less consuming option. So in 2009, there was a team of Dutch scientists um, and they took a group of children who had been identified as having trouble focusing, right? And they split them into two groups. And then the one group didn't eat junk food. They had no preservatives, no additives, no dyes, only real food, right? So the, the kind of food that, that your grandparents would have recognized as food. And then they were monitored for, for several weeks. And the results, as you can imagine, was that more than 70% of the kids who cut out the junk food improved their ability to pay attention by 50%. So once again, that's massive. And that makes a lot of sense to me because our brains need many different elements in order to thrive. 
we know that neurotransmitters and enzymes and all of the cofactors are essential in order for us to feel our best. And if these elements are not present, which is often the case with junk foods, the brain will not be able to function or focus as it should. Uh, so we know that the brain can really suffer without certain elements, things like omega-3s. So if we're not getting enough of these nutrients, it is going to impact us. So the next element I want to touch on is play. And here we, we really need to consider whether we are incorporating enough play into our lives. And this is such an important thing to have part of our lives. But unfortunately, if we're just looking at the school systems, it seems like schools are squeezing out play more and more, right? And they're squeezing in more assignments and homeworks and exams. And I guess there's a good reason for this. And, you know, their objective might be that they want children to learn. But it seems like the evidence is showing that it is actually the other way around. Our brains are more supple more plastic, more creative, when we had the opportunity to learn through play. And the primary technology for learning seems to be play, right? So when a child plays, he learns the skills that makes it possible to cope with the unexpected, for example, right? And you might have heard about the, uh, how the schools work in Finland, right? So the kids don't go into school at all until they're seven years old. Before then, they just play. And then between the ages of seven and 16, kids arrive at school at 9 a.m. and they leave at 2 p.m. They're given almost no homework, almost no tests until they graduate from high school. And free play is really at the beating heart of Finnish kids' lives. And by law, it's actually, you know, by law, Teachers have to give kids 15 minutes of free play for every 45 minutes of instruction. So what's the outcome? Only 0.1% of their kids are diagnosed with attention problems. And we know that Finns are, you know, among the most literate and numerate and happy people in the world. So the more we play, the better we will be able to focus and pay attention. Kids are overwhelmed with homework, they're overwhelmed with exams and activities, but how often do they still play? And, and this is not only important to our kids, but to us as well. Do you have time to play? And what activities do you see as play? And how can we start to incorporate more of that into our lives? So the last aspect that I want to touch on today is mind wandering. So often we've been taught that if our mind wanders while we're doing something, you know, that's not a good thing. But the truth is that mind wandering is actually essential. And unfortunately, we tend to not give ourselves time to just be and let our minds wander, right? But we actually desperately need sustained periods of reflection, of mind wandering, of deep thought that we often just don't allow ourselves to have. So letting your mind wander is definitely not a crumbling of attention, you know, as many of us might think, but it's actually a crucial form of attention in its own right. So you might even have experienced how if you allow your thoughts to, you know, just float, you often find those unexpected connections. 
Now, this is something that I often experience when I'm on holiday with no agendas. I just sit there, I stare at the ocean and I just allow my mind to wander. And it's fantastic to see how it's often in these times when I come up with the, like, the greatest ideas, you know, I make connections that I haven't previously made. And you know, something I realize about myself or my business or, you know, just having clarity in terms of what needs to be done next. So it's so powerful and it's really part of optimizing our focus. But you can see how, you know, unfortunately, if we continue to be a society of people who are severely underslept and overworked, um, who switch tasks every three minutes and who are so stressed that we become hypervigilant, who eats diets where we're not getting enough or not the right nutrients, then yes, we will be a society with serious attention problems. What did we expect? But I find that as health professionals, we need to be in a space ourselves to truly listen and not be distracted when being with our clients. Right? So it would be really important to put things in place to support your own focus. But of course, also being there to support our clients to do the same and help them to support themselves and put strategies in place to help them focus in a better way. So I've got a few important questions that you can ask yourself um, or your clients. Maybe you can consider some of them. So the first one is how do you manage distractions? Is it possible for you to maybe only check emails a few times a day, maybe put your phone away in a different room or on do not disturb? But also, how do you deal with stress? What support do you have? Because most of us can't run away from stress, but is there maybe some way in which you can support yourself best? And then also, what is keeping you from taking time to relax? What is keeping you from taking time out to just play. If you tend to overwork yourself and feel like, no, I don't have time for these things. You know? So just thinking about these things and considering, you know, what, what is possibly one small doable step to help me to improve my focus. So thank you very much for joining me. And I hope that you've got a few practical tips to start taking control of your focus. <music>